Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Let us read verses 25 through 27. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in great need of thee this morning. Lord, we pray that you'd open up our hearts and our minds to this blessed truth of which our Lord spake so many years ago, how relevant it is for us today. And I pray that, Father, Lord, the Spirit of God would guide us and direct us into this truth. Lord, I pray that it would not only affect our minds, but our entire being, the way we think and the way we live, our daily lives. I pray that, Father, you'd help us to realize, Lord, the importance of trusting in your divine providence and the great sin which comes along with doubting your goodness and mercy. Help us, dear God, we pray, that we might hear what the Spirit saith unto this church this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by reminding you <clears throat> of a truth which I've often mentioned from this pulpit and over the years as a pastor, which has, I believe, been greatly lacking amongst many churches, but the times and seasons call on us to change. Every word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Every word of God is important. No matter where you turn in the word of God, we can find comfort for our souls. And yet, though every word of God is inspired by God and important and relevant for us. It's important for us that as a church we pray that God providentially lead us to that portion of Scripture which is necessary and needful for us at the present time. And I fear many churches today are lacking in that desire to seek God's providence in what He would have for that church to understand. A brother sent me a quote this last week from a man named Tozer, which I do not believe or agree with everything he says, but he said something quite relevant for us in regards to this truth. He said, and I quote, what God says to his church at any given period depends altogether upon her moral and spiritual condition and upon the spiritual need of the hour. Religious leaders who continue mechanically to expound the Scriptures without regard to the current religious situation are no better than the scribes and lawyers of Jesus' day who faithfully parroted the law without the remotest notion of what was going on around them spiritually. They fed the same diet to all and seemed wholly unaware that there was such a thing as meat in due season. The prophets never made that mistake, nor wasted their efforts in that manner. They invariably spoke to the condition of the people of their times. End of quote. 
That, I believe, is true preaching, and that is, should be the desire of every church as they pray for their pastor and preacher, that God would providentially guide us to that portion of meat that we have need of in due season. This is to rightly divide the word of truth, Paul said, so that God's people might be fed in order that they might meet the daily and present needs and circumstances and situations facing the church. I say that in say that in regards to the events of this past week with the overturning of Road versus Wade. Believe me, dearly beloved, though we rejoice as Christians over such a change, the impact will prove to have a worldwide effect upon how the world looks at Christianity. Believe me, God has sovereignly put into motion, I believe, something that is going to greatly awaken His people. For though we rejoice over such things, I want to remind you that the world does not rejoice over such a thing, and their hatred for the church and for God's people and for God shall be greatly enhanced because of that. With the coming of woke and the also other thing, the LGBT movement, the critical race theory, all of these things, I believe, has providentially and severally been ordained by God that God's church might be awoken from her sleep. If you remember Job, when God was the one that seemed to attract attention to Job, when he said, have you said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I believe God is doing the same thing today in his church and for his church. Let us rejoice with great temperance, for such a thing shall prove to greatly incite the even now ever-growing hatred and animosity toward God and His people, which I believe is necessary and needful for God's church, which next week, Lord willing, I'd love to preach regarding this subject. But I wanted to begin this morning because even our subject in our text this morning has much to do with that. Trusting in God's providential care for our daily lives. I believe the church is going to get to a point because of all the events of these past few months, especially this last week, and now they're even talking about maybe possibly considering the same-sex marriage situation. I believe the churches are going to be so awoken they're not going to care what kind of worship service they have or what kind of meetings they have or what kind of entertainments they can give. But they're going to understand and believe, I hope and pray, that it's the preaching of the Word of God that will only sustain them through such times as these. And those Christians who have been feeding on the Word of God and those churches who have been giving them their meat in due season and rightly dividing the word of truth, I believe those churches shall stand above these things and be ready for the conflict which awaits them. And beloved, believe me, the conflict is not coming. The conflict has arrived. God has severally set in motion something that I believe is going to quickly and radically change the world.
and I myself look forward to that. It's time for God's people to awake out of their sleep and put those petty little differences that they have to the side, which will mean nothing when we face our great adversary in the hatred of the world. Then they shall turn against you and betray you to be afflicted and persecuted and shall kill you. Beloved, these times are upon us more than ever before. That's why uh, the passage of scriptures we've been looking at, whether it's in Peter, which we will return to, with Satan as our adversary, walking about, seeking whom he may devour, or in Matthew, that we trust in God's daily providing of our daily needs, or next week's passage in Matthew 24, they all are tied together with what the church is facing today. So, May God give us grace to approach these subjects with great humility and anticipation that God would give us our meat in due season. For, beloved, we're going to need it. The relevance and importance of the preaching of God's Word is going to come even more clear over the next few months and years than ever before. And I hope and pray that we as God's people are prepared May the Lord be glorified and honored in all things. Take no thought for your life. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I've no cause for worry or for fear. Can I doubt His tender mercy? who through life has been my guide. Praise to the Lord, who are all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelt is thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires ever have been granted in what he ordaineth? The King of love my shepherd is whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Thy bountiful care. Meditated on this this last week on the way to work. Amazing. Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light. It streams from the hills, it descends to the plain, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. God's providential care of His people. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to Thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Just a few hymns. Beloved, God's providential care of our daily needs has always been a source of great comfort and encouragement to God's people down through the ages. They were more sensitive to the daily their daily walking with God than many are today, who's more worried and concerned about tomorrow or next week than they are rejoicing in what God has provided for them now. They noticed, they took notice of the daily providential care God gave them. And they rejoiced in that, and they praised God for that. Expressed in many old hymns, as well as throughout Scripture, it has always given God's people great cause 
to praise and glorify God for such rich mercies and grace in daily providing their needs. Never overlooking the seemingly small things God blesses them with, whether it be bread on the table, a roof over their head, health in their family, whatever it might be, they daily praise God for His providential goodness and mercy and care towards His people. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him, with Him also freely give us all things. But my God, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need. You ever notice he doesn't use the word needs as plural, but singular. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There was a time in the history of God's people when they daily rejoiced over the daily provisions God had so graciously given them. You don't have to be poor to thank God for daily provisions. You don't have to be a monk. You don't have to live someplace off in the wilderness. God's people should always be thanking God for His daily provisions. Rejoicing in the fact that God is so gracious to us to give us the things that we have need of. We're always so concentrated and so busy on wanting those things we don't have, desiring those things that we wish for. Very rarely are we content to glorify God for the simple things that we have. How often do our hearts quickly become troubled? Not of God's providential governing of the universe, but His providential care of our daily needs. How loudly and boldly do we boast of God's providence governing the universe and the world and the governments and the nations and the kings. We tell the world we trust in a sovereign God who does all things in heaven upon earth and no one can stay his hand or ask him, what doest thou? We proudly boast of God's sovereignty and providence and yet so often we're troubled by the simple things of life that are seemingly small and insignificant. If we know not how to praise God for the small things, dearly beloved, how shall we truly praise God for the greater things? Being thankful every day for His daily provisions. Why take ye thought of what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or wherewithal shall ye be clothed? And though some might think these troubles are small or seemingly insignificant, compared to other dangers which face the true believer. Beloved, our text proves it is no small matter when we begin to doubt the goodness and grace of God to providentially provide such daily needs. It's no small matter in the sight of God. Look at from verse 24 all the way to 34. Our Lord speaks very in depth about this problem, about this sin. It's no small matter not to be thankful for the small things in life. It's no small matter when we overlook the daily things that God gives us. In fact, our daily prayers life should be filled with thankfulness for the daily things that God gives us. Whether it be a job or health to rise up out of bed, 
whether it be children that God has blessed us with, food on our table, simply the air we breathe. Thanking God for these things is no small matter. As a matter of fact, according to our text, it is indeed a sin of the greatest measure. O ye of little faith, our Lord says in this context. It's also a temptation of our adversary, which he often seeks to afflict every true believer with, even Christ himself, which proves the magnitude of its sin. Look over in Matthew chapter 4, a few verses, chapters over. Look at the temptations that our Satan, our adversary, brought against Christ has to do with all of these things, what you drink, what you eat, and wherewith shall you be clothed. Verse 1, Then was Jesus led up in the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hundred. He's hungry. Where, what shall we eat? And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. What a temptation. Christ is hungered. Forty days. No food. How does Satan tempt him with bread, simple bread. Isn't that amazing? I never really thought of it in that depth until recently, but it's amazing that he, he tempts him with simple bread. He didn't tempt him about his deity or him being the Son of God or anything else, something great and magnificent. He tempts him with the weakness that he's suffering in the flesh. He tempts him with bread because Christ is hungered. But he answered and said, His written man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The devil, then the devil take him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and said, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Take no thought for your life. Verse 8, again, the devil taketh him up at the exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me, the riches of the world. Isn't it amazing that he tempts him three times with the things that he tempts us with? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The things of the world. This great sin of not trusting in God's providentially daily care was seen also in the children of Israel after the deliverance out of Egypt. They witnessed the great power of God in the ten plagues. Can you imagine witnessing those ten plagues? Can you imagine being there and being eyewitness to these plagues that Moses, by God's power, called down upon Egypt? They saw the fire, a pillar of fire at night and the smoke in the daytime leading them through the wilderness. They saw the Red Sea divided, and they walked upon dry, dry, dry ground through the Red Sea. They saw the entire Egyptian army destroyed in one single motion of God. They seen all that great power of God, yet they murmured about food, water, and while their clothes waxed not old. Same sin. They murmured about food and water. You brought us out here to die. We have no food. We have no water. Isn't it amazing how we see that throughout Scripture? That that's exactly what Satan tempts us with? Is to doubt God's providential care of his people? And it's not the big, huge things in life. It's the daily needs of life. 
It's no small matter, dearly beloved, when we murmur or doubt God's providential caring for our lives in the small things, daily things of life. How should we come together as God's people and praise God for the great and wonderful things He does in our lives if we don't praise His name daily for the seemingly small and significant things that He gives us daily, the small things? It's the small things that teach us how to praise God for the greater things. A lot of old people, when they get older, they joke about they thank God every day when they can put their feet on the floor and stand up and get out of bed at the age they are. You don't have to get old to thank God for that. We rise in the morning and thank God that he's given us another day that we might worship and praise him. Thank God for the job he's given us, for the food he's given us, for our children, for our family, for our loved ones. We begin to thank God for all the things he gives us daily. And then when we gather together in God's house on Sunday and gather together in corporate worship and praise, we praise God for the greater things in life, for his salvation, for his grace, for his mercy, for his love, for his faithfulness, for his holiness. We get so wrapped up and caught up in the cares of life, we don't even notice these things. That's why he says, after all these things, the Gentiles seek, the heathen seek these things. They're concerned about these things. Why should you? Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. Oh, when the sun rises in the morning, we see the glory of God in the heavens and in the firmament. We should praise God. Praise God for the rain, for the sunshine. We praise God for whatever he providentially gives us. It's no sin to pray for our needs. But it's a sin when we forget to praise God for the things we have. Could it be that God sometimes holds back his blessings because we're not thankful for the things he's already given us? Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Christ is not condoning laziness or implying that one should not work or labor to provide for his own or his family needs. He's not supporting laziness. For even Paul said in Second Thessalonians, if any, if any would not work, neither should he eat. God would have us labor six days of the week. Why? To provide our meat. He told that to Adam. You'll labor six days in the earth to provide your meat. God doesn't support laziness or slothfulness. Look at the book of Proverbs. It says it over and over about the sin of slothfulness. So Christ is not condoning laziness that we just sit back and wait for God to provide all things. Paul said in 1 Timothy, But if any man provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I'm appalled at how many people today, how many men today, stay at home while their wives go to work. i got a lot of them that work with me like that. Lazy bums, they'd stay at home while their women go to work. As husbands, it is our responsibility to provide for the needs of our family. That's one of our responsibilities as a father and a husband. 
That's an honor and a privilege for us to do that. And God encourages that. So He's not, he's not condoning laziness or slothfulness. Yet if by the providence of God or even our own doing, listen to me, yet if by the providence of God or even by our own doing, when we begin to lack in such things as drink, eat, and what to wear, let us take no thought, be not over-anxious, or become troubled. If it be by the providence of God, and listen to me, we're, we're human, we're flesh, we're weak, or even our own doing. Let us not be anxious, overcome with trouble. But by beholding the goodness of God's providence, let us be encouraged and comforted. For are ye not much better than they? God even tells us to look at the simple birds of the air. Look at what they do. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Look at the they 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 rejoice in the heaven your heavenly Father. He provides for them. Are ye not much better? Are ye not much better than they? One of the blessings that we've had in the nursing home is we've been able to provide a nice little sanctuary in the backyard of the nursing home where we have a bird bath and we have other little statutes and bird feeders and stuff and so the birds are constantly there. We have birds and squirrels, and the residents love going out there and sitting and watching. In the, and I'm constantly reminding the res residents in hopes of opening the door to tell them about Christ, about how these birds, how these squirrels, how nature itself is satisfied with what God's given it. They, they seem to have no trouble. They, they have no worries. They just. I'm not saying that all worry and trouble is sinful. Neither is Christ. Remember last week, we encouraged you, reminded you that God cares about our fears. But when we become over-anxious about it, that's when it's sinful. When we become troubled, when we come to the point that that's all that's possessing our minds and our thoughts is this over-anxiety and fear of being able to know what we're going to eat or drink or what we're going to wear, that's when it becomes sinful. So Christ would have us look upon nature. Isn't that amazing how God condescends? To our level and says, let me give you an example. Look at the birds. Can you imagine? And I can imagine the Lord standing somewhere where there's fowls of the air and there's grass and he's attracting their attention to this. Look at this. Look at this bird. As this bird flew around, it was just so happy and content. Look, he doesn't do nothing. He doesn't put it in barns. He's not worried about your heavenly father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Will not God take care of you? And look at God, how he closes the grass of the field. Some believe that this is reverence to lost sinners, that they're like grass, that they, they, today they're here and tomorrow they're cast into the oven. He's saying, look at what happens to them. He even takes care of them. But oh, don't mention the word common grace for many people are, are upset and offended by that phrase. But some believe he's referring to the lost. Look how God even takes care of the lost providentially on menial things. They grow today and they're cast into the oven tomorrow. Well, you have little faith. God will take care of you. God will, God will take care of you, whether it's by His providence or by your own doing. 
Therefore, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Luke adds, if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? That's how Luke adds to that verse. If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? What we do when we are over-anxious like that is we begin to think that we're better than God or that we can provide things where God cannot. That's presumptuous and sinful. This is clearly a rebuke at the pridefulness and arrogance of man that he could even presume that anything he has or needs he himself can obtain. That's why Christ said, what can you do by worrying? What does your worrying do for you? Can you add one cubit to your stature? Can you change anything by your worrying? How often I've used this in my own life as well as in the ministry when people worry about things they have no control over. Why do you want to worry about something you have no control over? If you have no control over the situation, worrying doesn't do nothing to help you. That's why Paul said, care for nothing, worry, be not over-anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, that all your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Care about nothing, worry about nothing. Worrying does not help anybody. It makes simply the matter more worse. You can't add anything to it. If you're not able to do the, that with thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? That's why Jeremiah said, O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct the steps. So this is actually, when we do that, this is actually sinful pride, arrogance. And the Lord rebukes it. Proverbs twenty twenty four says, Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Beloved, when we begin to take thought, to be over-anxious for our life, what we shall eat or what we shall drink or get for our bodies, what we shall put on, we lose sight of God who alone can provide us with all things necessary and needful for this present life. And we begin taking, if I can use the word which is not proper in itself, we begin taking control as though we could. Christ saying you can't take control, but that's what we actually try to do. We try to control the situation, and Christ says you can't control that. It's out of your power. It's out of your ability. Why do you even try? For it's madness to believe that by such thoughts we could achieve anything. Because such thoughts, dearly beloved, according to our passage of Scripture, are blatant sins against the good providences of our God. We are, in all reality, complaining about God not being able to provide. Take no thought for your life. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Oh, ye of little faith. Doesn't say no faith. It says little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Christ is simply saying such thoughts are lack of faith. And Paul said, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. So it's a sin. 
in every situation, dearly beloved, not just what we eat or drink or what we clothe, but every situation in life, when we begin to worry about any circumstance or situation in life, when we begin to worry about it, be over anxious about it, that is beginning to question the good providence of our God. And it's a lack of faith. You say, what happens when that, when, that, when that happens? What do we do when that happens? Well, Christ doesn't just rebuke it as being sin. He doesn't just try to explain to us that our Heavenly Father knows us we have need. He gives us the remedy for that. And it's found in verse 33, one that many of us have quoted, know by heart. It's in verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You want to know that all things shall be added unto you, that all things shall be provided. You want to be assured that God will daily provide for your needs in the seemingly small things as well as the large. What's the remedy to that? What's the key to that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, when we start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it puts everything in life, in this present life, in its right perspective. It puts it in its right perspective. When our hearts and minds are stayed on God, there's that peace of mind which passes all understanding. It puts everything in perspective. That's why Christ says, your father knows you have need of this. And the way to keep that thought, that, that thought in your mind, in your heart, is to seek first the king. Seek first. The, I like how he says, seek ye first. Don't seek bread and water and clothing first. Don't seek how you can do that first. But seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. This is also in keeping with what manner we ought to pray. Remember when the disciples came to the Lord and said, Lord, teach us how to pray? The Lord said, after this manner you shall pray. Now, listen to this prayer in the light of, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, or in earth as it is in heaven. Then give us day by day our daily bread. Matthew 6 and Luke 11. You see, it's our Father which are in heaven. Seek the kingdom of God first. Hallowed be thy name and his righteousness. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then it says, give us day by day our daily bread by seeking the kingdom of God first. All these things shall be added, the Lord said unto thee. You see, the majority of our problems as Christians when it comes to things or worrying about things like this is that we're not thinking right. We, we're not thinking. Our mind is not set right. We're not thinking. Our thinking is wrong. This is the greatest mistake with charismatic movement. They base everything that they believe and what they want to do or what they feel to do on emotions, on pure emotions. If the song is still playing, then I can rejoice. When the song, song stop, stops playing and reality hits, I don't know how to deal with light. I see that day after day on my job. Uh, you probably see that as well. People that will follow the charismatic movement, they only can serve God when the feelings and emotions are high. But when reality sets in and trouble begins, they are the most miserable people that are seen on this earth. Why? Because their thinking is wrong. 
They live basically according to their emotions. Christians don't. Let this mind be in you, which was also... See, it's, your, it's our thinking. It's our thinking. So when we put or seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these other things shall be put in their perspective. Then we know, we're assured, that all these things shall be added unto us when we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I've said for years, and I'll continue to say it for years, in everything, in everything we're seeking God for, in all our troubles and our problems and our worries and anxieties, you must, we must start with God, not with our problem. Start with God. Because when we start with God, by the time we get to our day-by-day bread, we're not worried about that because we began with God. And our hearts and our minds and our faith are reminded of His goodness, His grace, His majesty, His sovereignty, His providence. And so when it comes down to our needs, it's simply something that we know is going to be added. We start with God. That's why I say I'm, I'm rather looking forward to what's coming up in these next few months and years. Things are beginning to move fast now. I'm telling you, this road versus Wade is a bigger thing than what most Christians think. They're going, oh, yeah, praise God, it's been passed. I'm a Christian, no more abortion. I'm telling you, you better rejoice with temperance because there's, there's an influence. There's a consequence for this. The world is going to hate. You thought they hated us now? Wait. During the pandemic, they despised and threatened our worship. During the vaccine, they branded us as enemies or as problem people because we didn't take the vaccine. The woke critical race theory, LGBT movement. Now they're talking, or some of them's talking about possibly the Supreme Court taking on the same-sex marriages and the, and the gay movement. I'm telling you, this is all going to turn against the church. You think they hated us before? Wait till now. Christians aren't going to be worried if the church provides entertainment for my children or a band up on the set that plays music. They're going to be worried about what God has to say. And that's good for the church. Because we need to get back to the basics of what Christianity is, and that's the preaching of the Word of God, not the entertainment the church provides. And if the church is not preaching solid doctrine, I guarantee you, those Christians are going to have nothing to hold on to. I'm telling you, beloved, it's, it's beginning. Look over Matthew chapter 24 in preparation for next week. I want you to see just this so that you might also think on these things for next week. Matthew chapter 24, well-known verses. The disciples ask when the, uh, the sign of his coming and the end of the world shall be in verse 3. And he goes through the uh, wars, rumors of wars, and uh, you know, nation against nation, kingdom against famines, pestilences, goes through all that. But in verse 8, watch this. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Those things are already taking place. They're already now taking place. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Let me tell you something. <laughs> there's no more boundaries in the world anymore. There's no more, there's no more isolated places like it was 200 years ago, 300 years ago, where when somebody did something in one nation, it took months for it to get over to the European nations. No, what's done in America this morning is broadcasted already tonight in Europe. The world knows. And you know what? The world's responded to this raid where uh, uh, 
uh, rogue thing. You know that? The world's responded. And I'm telling you, <laughs> you're going to be hated of all nations. I'm, t I'm, I'm telling you, there's never been such a hatred towards God's people on such a worldwide scale as it is now. And I'm telling you, the sovereignty of God has set something in motion that's going to shake up not only the world, but the church. I guarantee you. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm telling you, God has set something in motion with this one overturning of this law that is going to shake the world as well as his church. And we better be ready for what's coming because it's coming. It's here already. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. You see the prog progress here? Not only hate of all nations, but then amongst those who profess to be believers. These are not true believers, but those, those, these people are amongst true believers. And, they, and, and then shall many be offended, shall betray one another, shall hate one another. I've never seen so much betrayal and hatred and offense amongst professing Christians as I have today. Look at the Internet. They're just throwing rocks. You know they're casting stones now at dead men. That's absurd, isn't it? You say, what do you mean? Well, people that's doing that knows what I'm talking about. They're casting stones at dead men. They're looking for any and every way to fight and argue and betray and offend one another and hate one another. I'm telling you, it's rampant. And many false prophets, you see what happens because of that? Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. That opens the door for false prophets. I'm telling you, Last year, or two years ago, when they closed down the world, or attempted to close down worship, and professing Christians went to the Internet, I'm telling you, they find now that as excuse is not going to church. They think Internet is sufficient. I'm telling you, they're wrong. They're totally, unbiblically, unscripturally wrong. They're sinfully wrong. They're wrong. And they've made themselves their own spiritual leaders and advisors, and they reject any other spiritual leader. Why? Because now they're independent. They don't have any authority over them. They don't have nobody to submit to. They're their own advisors. Their own. I'm telling you, look at all the things that's happening. It's happening. It's happening right now before our eyes. It's happening. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, I am guarantee you, he's not talking about the love amongst the heathen or the lost. Iniquity is going to abound, and the love of many, the love of many who? The love of many who profess to be Christ shall wax cold. I'm telling you, you see it everywhere. People just don't seem to care. Those who profess to know Christ, they just don't seem to care about brotherly love, brotherly fellowship. They don't care about unity, loving one another as Christ does. I'm telling you, it's evident right before our eyes at this very moment. It's not coming. It's on our doorstep. Verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, shall the same shall be shaved. He that endure unto the end. It's here. It's here. It's not coming. It's here. It's present. That's why Christ, when he closes out Matthew chapter 6, he said, sufficient of the day is the evil thereof. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Isn't that amazing? He talks about, you know, us being concerned about our what we're going to drink and eat and wear, and at the end of it he says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't think about tomorrow. Just live for today. I'm telling you, dearly beloved, <laughs> I believe with all my heart, God has suddenly set something in motion that's going to change the world. It already has. Look at the anger, the malice, the hatred. You don't think people can start killing each other again? Look at it now. Look at what's going on now. Look at the news right now. It's just, it's horrendous what's going on in the world. 
I mean, they're now saying abortion is not safe, neither are you. They're threatening to kill people over abortion. They're threatening to maim people. May God give us grace to abide in his word. Because I'm telling you, all these churches that boasted about all their entertainment and all their little sideshows they have, that's not going to be enough. That's not going to be sufficient. When it really comes down to it, it's going to come down to the preaching of the Word of God. It's going to come down to what we are receiving from the Word of God. It is the Word of God, dearly beloved. The preaching of the Word must have preeminence. May God give us grace. May God give us grace. Finally, the signs of His coming in the end of the world are closer than ever before. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God, give us grace now to rejoice with temperance. Amen. Because if you think this abortion thing started something, I mean, just the merely the just merely the mentioning of one of those justices saying, now we need to examine same-sex marriage. Just the mere mention of that has enraged the liberal media. And it's all going to turn against the church. Amen. It's all going to turn against the church. May God give us grace. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for thy word. We thank you that God, you and your divine providence, Lord, you called us unto this time and generation. Lord, the church has been asleep far too long. She's been indifferent, slothful, lazy. She's been indulging in the things of the world and the pleasures of it. Yet, Lord, now, Father, Lord, I believe you have suddenly set something in motion that shall stir up the church of God. It will wake up the hypocrites and the apostates who begin betraying and offending one another and hating one another. Lord, I pray that, God, you'd give your elect people the courage and the strength. Help us, Lord God, Father, to ever turn to the Word of God for our refuge. My Father, I pray that, Lord, you prepare us now. Watch over Brother Stuart and Elijah as they travel this week, tomorrow. Give them traveling mercies home. Pray you be with Greg and his granddaughter as she goes to the surgery. We pray that you'd be with Christy Hamilton's father. We pray you'd be with Brother William, Brother Charles. Lord, we pray that you'd be with our church. We're small. Yet, Lord God, I believe in these latter days more than likely we're going to see more and more small churches. Lord, help us, Lord God, that we might ever stay close to Thee. And Lord, that we might ever submit ourselves to Thy Word and to Your supreme authority. May You guide us and direct us and prepare us for these latter days. We desire to endure unto the end by Thy grace. May You be honored and glorified, for without You we can do nothing. With You we can do all things. Lord, we ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen.